Greetings, fellow imps. I'm Imp Fossil Tom Hensky, and I'd like to welcome you to From Nowhere to Now Here, where incarnate memories prevail. Like many incoming first years, I entered the university a blank canvas. You get it, nowhere. But four years later, I grew to now here. And when I look back at that transformation, it was the friendships that I built through the imps that were a huge part of that growth. But where did everyone end up? I'm going to take us on a journey to find them, to catch up with the friends we've lost touch with. And in doing so, my mission is to rekindle these amazing relationships. Welcome back, Imp Nation. We are growing. This has been a blast. We have a great show today, but before we get going, Bo Greenwood got back to me just in time uh, before taping this episode to give us the answer of, do the imps still meet in the chapel? And the answer is yes, they do still meet in the chapel. But for you older fossils, uh, it was interesting to find out that they now have something called champagne and darts, which my friend Yusuf's gonna tell us that was around when he was there and he graduated in 2010. But uh, these are some great little factoids that I'm gonna start introducing into the episodes. In fact, it might even be cool to have a short episode with a current imp to hear what they're working on. And maybe, uh, you know, maybe we give them 15 or 20 minutes in a future episode. But so that's what's on tap for the next couple of episodes. So Imp Nation, you've been asking me to add younger imp generations to our podcast. And we're gonna do that today. We have none other than Yusuf Sajid. What's going on? Not too much. I appreciate being called younger and young. It feels good. I feel like post 30, you don't hear that often. So I'll take it. Well, welcome to the show. Thanks for uh, reaching out to me and saying that you like the show. And then I couldn't help but say, hey, if you like it, why don't you be on? So you're on today and you're going to be famous. Your email inbox is going to be flooded. You're noticed on the streets uh, where you are today. And we'll talk a little about that. Yep, yep. Up, yeah, up in Northern Virginia in Fairfax, very much like quintessential Northern Virginia life, like amazing suburbs, uh, great like town centers to hang out with after high school. We had the Starbucks and a Target. It was a pretty good, cushy suburban life. You know, before we get going, tell me a little about the family you grew up with. I think rumor had it that you were an uncle at nine years old. Is that true? Yeah, I was an uncle at like nine, nine or ten. I forget exactly the exact math, but Grew up in a in a you know a South Asian family. I'm Pakistani um, by ethnicity, and my siblings are much older than I. So my oldest sibling is 13 or 14 years older, and so my sister had kids when I was around nine or 10, and so I kind of grew up with my nephews as like this uncle slash pseudo like big brother slash just like friend. And now you know they're actually both at UVA. One graduated. Uh, last year, the other is a third year at UVA, and it's just awesome to like have that uh, lineage carry on. Yeah, that's super cool. And it gives you a good excuse to go back and visit. I'm sure every once in a while. Yeah, absolutely. And act like I I know what's still going on, but they definitely teach me like what all the like young, cool kids are doing these days at UVA. It's not too different, but uh, it feels a little different today. (laughs) So was UVA the only school you applied to, or were there a couple of others? 
I applied to 11 colleges in the South. And I don't know why I thought of this. I grew up in Georgia and, and Florida. That's where I was, you know, raised as a small kid. But I felt like I wanted this experience of like a Southern small Ivy. And so I was applying to like Wake Forest and Vandy and Emory. And uh, of course, as a Virginia resident, William Mary and UVA. And when I toured around and visited all those schools, I think what did it for me was like UVA had the the vibe of a small school, but all the resources of a big school. At least that's how they pitched it to me. And William and Mary was was a good experience as well, but I felt like it was just a little too tucked away. And so UVA kind of became the obvious choice at that point. And I know you, your first year major, I think you were pre-med. Is that right? Yeah. So I kind of followed along. I think anyone listening coming from like, you know, the immigrant family, South Asian family, you know, parents really have this uh, idea of your life set out for you um, and on all the best intentions. And so, you know, there is familial expectations of me becoming this medical professional. And I I believed it in myself too. Like I I like science. I was good at science, but I quickly realized there's a difference between being good at science and then, you know, wanting to be a medical professional. So it wasn't until I started actually working at the UVA hospital. I was on the neuroepilepsy stroke unit um, and working with all these doctors, nurses, and, and physician assistants, like shout out to all of you guys. But it was just the, the experience uh, really taught me quickly that this wasn't the right fit for me for like an everyday job. And it kind of sunk in. I was like, all right, I need to figure something out here. <laughs> okay. So how far into your first year did you figure that out? So yeah, this is yeah, this is where <laughs> this is where I had a little bit of problem. So it wasn't even first year. I went through the whole shebang, like all 42 credits. I'm talking like orgo lab, physics lab, bio lab, like physical chemistry. I, like I did all two semesters of calculus. And the breaking point was third year. I finished all my pre-med credits. I volunteered at the hospital. I volunteered up 29 North at the uh, at the UVA Care Research Institute. And it wasn't until I was signing up for my Kaplan MCAT class and the credit card payment came and it was like $3,500. It wasn't until someone asked me to pay money that I realized, no, it's not worth this much money for me to pay and do it. So I had to be asked, like, will you pay $3,500 to pursue this path? And I was like, no, like, I'm not doing this. So that was the breaking point was kind of a fall semester or spring semester, third year rather. Yeah, when you get a bill like that, it really makes you question what you're doing, right? That wasn't an insignificant bill at that point in time, that's for sure. Right. And like as a student, you don't know better. So I'm like, how am I going to make up this $3,500? Little did I know, like my nephews are pre-med and going to medical school. They'll probably make that in a couple hours once they start working. Yeah. So then you just shut it down and then you decided to major in what? Uh, Drinking tuna in the chapel? What was the new major? So yeah, that was definitely persisted throughout my college experience, but I actually, I majored in cognitive science, um, which was related to the hard sciences, but also had a lot of psychology and philosophy, and that was more my speed. And so I was always interested in how the mind worked, how the brain worked. It's one of the two, like, I always say it's like one of the two, like, unknowns that we have, like th- that, the deep sea, the, the mind and space, so three rather. And so um, and it was just the program itself was like structured really well. You got to take classes in different departments. The faculty um, were really interesting. Um, and so I'm glad I majored in that and did pre-med um, on the side rather than major like in a biology or, or chemistry or something like that. Okay. So what else was going on during that period of time, your four years? I know you did a few other things there too. 
Yeah, so much. I mean, UVA was such an incredible experience. I I, I, I am so fortunate for it. I think the the highlights of my experience were I was an RA my last two years, and I cherished that. I think it was like super fun to be in a position of like you know being the youngest of four. I didn't have younger siblings necessarily. Definitely had my nephews, but being a a pseudo mentor to like fourteen guys. Um, and kind of navigating their first year was a really fun experience. And I was definitely a cool RA. Like I, I didn't like bust them for, uh, for anything too harsh. And the biggest thing was just like respect each other and respect, you know, what you guys want from each other. And so um, RA was huge. Um, I was a U guide. And so I can tell you quite a bit about Thomas Jefferson Lawn. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, I can tell you like a couple of key factoids <laughs> and get through it. So yeah, giving tours of the lawn and the rotunda, giving admissions tours. And you guys, um, I'm not sure in your days, but in, in mine were pretty much like a pseudo fraternity or sorority. It was extremely social group. So we had like guides and they each had families. And within the families, there were subfamilies. And then there were secret societies to the guides. And then within those secret societies, there were even more secret societies. And it was just... <laughs> unnecessary proliferation of socialness in the guides program. Uh, You won't be surprised at this, that a lot of your imp classmates while you were there found it completely irresponsible of the university to let you of all people be an RA. Does that surprise you at all? (laughs) I think that probably happened after the fact. So I'm glad I got away with it. Yeah. Okay, so now you're doing the guide stuff. Any good stories from being a uh, a guide? Any... uh, funny ones you have for us i think it's i just remember like either being on a tour or being on a tour with another tour guide and something going wrong so for example there's one admissions tour i was uh, doing it with another classmate and as we're doing the tour she got stung by a bee and had an allergic reaction (laughs) and so and so we're now we're in front of 120 prospective students we're trying to sell uva right and it's like one of those spring admissions days She's breaking, <laughs> she's breaking out in highs with smiling through it, assuring me that she's totally fine. <laughs> and, and we just, you know, try to make that work and feel like, you know, very natural. Um, and then, you know, we definitely had a few streakers when we would get to old dorms and, you know, a couple of kids wanted to be up to no good. Um, and then I think for me, the worst, the ones were, and this will happen a few times when I was giving an historical tour and there'd be somebody in the group who'd want to, argue with me about a fact. And so, and at that point, I was just like, you know, my, my, my approach was just like, apologize and say, you know, sir, you're absolutely right. Like, you know, Thomas Jefferson didn't found the school as John Adams, you know, it's my oversight because it was not worth it to me at that point. So um, yeah, those would be some of the the big stories popping up. Now, did you have your favorite go-to story that you knew always wowed the group, like some little factoid about the clock or about the honor code? What was your go-to story? I I try to find a couple of stories kind of off the beaten path. And, you know, my, you know, to be honest, my style of giving tours was the facts are, are great. The facts are cool, but are they really interesting? So I was like, let, let me take some of the hearsay. Like, what did Wayne Cozart tell me in the hallway one time? <laughs> like, well, you know, just like things like that. Like, you know, and so one of the things I said, and this is, we don't know if it's fully true, but um, in Pavilion 9, uh, back in like in the 1920 or 18, like, you know, 1890s rather, I heard that, um, you know, professors are allowed to live in the pavilions. And back then their terms ended um, like when they were no longer faculty or when they passed away. And so Pavilion 9, 
Uh, turned out the faculty member, the husband actually died, but the wife had propped him up in a rocking chair in the window. So people still thought he was alive so that she can continue to live in Pavilion 9. And so, you know, it was a fun little ghost story. I kind of like those little ghost stories as well. And so that was a fun one that I would tell people. And I would point to like the bay window of Pavilion 9 and people look through it. And sometimes like a modern day faculty member walk by and then people jump. <laughs> and so... Well, you know, I heard, I don't know if this is true, and we don't want the facts to get in the way of a good story, but I heard that that Pavilion 9 story was the basis for Weekend at Bernie's, the movie. Yeah. So, um, so for those of you that didn't know that UVA is responsible for that movie great Weekend at Bernie's, uh, you can go to Wikipedia and check that out. I'm sure you can find it if you search around yes. for it today. So great. So you're there. And then tell me about the friendships that you had and what led to the imps. Give me that backstory. Yeah, to the, the imp backstory. And so I would say prior to imps, like, you know, my big thing at UVA was it was such a huge school, but there's a community for everyone. Like that's what I told my nephews when I when I when they matriculated. And for me, you know, it was I did a lot with Madison House and then the service organization. I worked there full time afterwards, had good friends there. I did a lot with my dorm councils and Lambeth and what have you. And Guides was a, a place my end of second year where I started to really um, deepen my friendships with others. And so um, whether, in a, in, you know, whether it was just like we were treating Guides like it was like the real UN. Right. And so getting that experience of navigating politics and elections and things like that and so I was pretty smooth sailing like end of second year I was like all right I think I found my group of people like I'm, I'm really involved I like what I'm studying like everything's great so come fall of third year fall of third year you know I'm a first-time RA I'm like let me invest in being in dorms the first couple of months make sure these kids are uh, set up for success and then I remember, so this is the impact story. I went back home to Northern Virginia for the weekend because my eldest brother was um, getting a, um, uh, how do I say this? He was like on the market to get married. And so the way it works in like South Asian and like this Muslim communities is like the girl's family will come to the man's family's house. There's this very formal dinner. It's very Downton Abbey. Like the shifting of a glass means a lot. Like a cough is like very dramatic. And so my mom's like, you got to come up. There's some girl visiting. We're having the family to family dinner to scope her out. So I'm driving up. I'm like all dressed up. I get there. You know, we're doing the dinner and uh, I get an email. And this is, I was the first class with Facebook. So you got to keep that in mind. So I get an email from this guy I didn't know at all. His name was Carlos. And he was like in the Minority Rights Coalition which uh, was like this group that, you know, was a parent group for all the other race and uh, religion affinity groups at UVA. And he said, there's been an Islamophobic article and cartoon in the Cav Daily, which was actually not too uncommon because in my time, every other month, the Cav Daily would have some kind of racy <laughs> incident and there'd always be some kind of thought piece and protests happening afterwards. So I was like, all right, not like par from the course. Why am I getting this email? And it's like, your name has been brought up because Cav Daily has been getting threatening letters of like physical violence and like all these other things. And it's been attributed to you, but we are here to support you through this. And so like meet, let's meet at Clemens library tonight to talk through how to navigate this. So suddenly my heart like falls to my stomach. I'm like, what's going on? I'm being accused of, of like physical threats to the cab daily writers. And I, I, I didn't even think to check this article or cartoon. Meanwhile, I'm trying to like get through this dinner and pretend like we're, in a, like, I'm in this amazing sibling. So this girl marries my brother. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
And so at that point, the guy's like, you have to come tonight to Clemens Library. And I didn't know, I, 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 so I, had to, I had to tell my parents, I was like, hey, I need to go back to school. And they're like, what are you talking about? Like, you have to, you have to stay and finish dinner. I'm like, no, I need to go back tonight. Like, there's something happening. I, I can't explain it. And so I, I dart from dinner. I get back in my car and I drive two hours south to Charlottesville thinking that uh, like, I'm about to like, go on trial. Oh. Like, yeah, thinking about to go on trial. I stop at Moothrew, which is this ice cream place, like halfway through. It's like the freshest milk you can imagine. Like it's so, it's not, probably not even pasteurized. Like it's so fresh. Like your stomach is just in knots eating it, which was terrible because I enjoyed the ice cream. But now there's, I have the runs and it's like 40 minutes left driving. Okay, so I'm about to physically explode in the car. My mind is racing. Like, I'm anxious. I have like three gallons of dairy in my system. Okay, this is not this is not the way I imagined my tapping to go. But anyways, I, I quickly get to school. I have enough time to pull my best friend. We go to O'Hill to the cafeteria, and I tell him everything. I show him the email um, he's not an imp. I show him the email. I show him everything. I was like, what do you think is going on? He didn't know. And then finally I go to Clemens library and there's this guy, Carlos there. And then next to him is a guy I know. His name is Kadeem. Kadeem is actually one of my best friends today. And I got a little bit suspicious at that point. I was like, what is Kadeem doing here? Like, he's not on the minority rights coalition. Like what's going on? So we meet up and Carlos was like really serious. He's like, all right, um, I have, let's go talk to, some of the student lawyers uh, were meeting them on the corner. And then I got a little bit more suspicious. I'm like, why are we meeting these student lawyers or whatever at like at a bar? Like, why are, <laughs> like, this is a very, this is my life here. You know, like, I don't want to be like contemplating my life at the Virginian or something. So we go to the corner and then we stop. He'll like stop at the Virginian and check his phone. And we're just standing there. And then we'd stop at the corner at like Mincer's. He'd check his phone again. And like, it, it was, I, I don't know what's happening. We finally get, like the end of the corner and we go into this restaurant and as i'm walking in it's just people having dinner like normal citizens charlesville people students we go upstairs to the second floor and i it's just dead quiet quiet and so i like i don't know what's happening at this point um and so and then finally i hear my name you know you do you, your whole like hear your name backwards still doesn't click uh carlos asked me if i'm a z i don't hear him and then, you know, then I just get handed a drink and then we like go to town and like, that's how it happened. And, and, it, and then they're like, yeah, there's no, there's no, there's no, uh, there's no, you know, Islamic phobic incident. There's no trial. I go back to Carlos. I'm like, what did you ask me? He goes, I asked you if you're a Z. And I was like, how do I know if I'm a Z? Aren't they secret? And he's like, you're not a Z. And I said, okay, got it. So, yeah. That is awesome. That is an awesome story. Now, everyone's listening to this and they have two lingering questions going on in their mind. So the first is, did your brother wind up marrying that woman? No, he didn't. He ended up not marrying that woman, no. Okay, and so basically what that means is you could have been at the dinner, okay? You could have used your uh, joke from the Dirty Joke Banquet and it would have had the same exact result. We, we could, yeah, we could have had a yeah, completely different uh, course of experiences for sure. That's awesome. So that was your third year. Is that what yeah. you told me? Oh, that's yeah, fall my third year, yeah, or winter my third year rather. And I want to take a step back. Um, you mentioned Madison House is a big part of what you were doing. I, in my mind, I remember what Madison House was, mm -hmm. but I don't remember what they did. So what, yeah. remind everybody. 
Yeah, absolutely. So Madison House is the student volunteer center for UVA, but it's completely separate. It's a completely separate nonprofit. It doesn't get um, uh, appropriated funding from the university. And essentially, it's a volunteer clearinghouse, provides volunteers to about 120 different sites in Charlottesville and Albemarle, um, schools, housing, medical center, uh, you name it. So what the staff do is essentially this kind of train-the-trainer model. They work to get students and train them as leaders who then act as volunteer managers and I think they output about like 33,000 volunteers on a weekly basis in the community. And so it's pretty uh, incredible, uh, incredible place. And to your knowledge, are they still doing that today? Yeah, they're still going strong. I know like during a remote, they had to shift to remote volunteering um, and scale down a little bit, I believe. But they're still full, full force and kind of the acting as the, the student volunteer center for UVA. So they're still going strong. Absolutely. Okay, so now you graduate, and then you're going to tell me about a spin you took back to go to business school too, right? Was there anything in between, or did you go right to business school? So in between, I worked in D.C. for a little bit, which was fun because like the highlight of working in D.C. was just hanging out with imp friends. So we had a, a, an imp a happy hour circle, and we were getting together maybe like two or three times a week, And now that I think of it. And so there was a great D.C. Uh, imp scene uh, when I was there. And then I went back to Charlottesville, worked at Madison House full time. I figured like, you know, I want to have this career in public service. When am I going to do it? And so I was like, let me do it when I'm at, uh, at Madison House, or excuse me, when I'm in my, in my early 20s. And so I did that, hit a wall for a little bit and decided, okay, I want to go to grad school. Where do I go? Um, fell on the MBA program. I didn't really know anyone who was MBA at the time. So I didn't know too much about it. I didn't know who to talk to about it. And so, um, and this is like the power of the imps here. It's like, you know, looking into the MBA programs, I reached out a couple of imps who were at the Darden at the time, <clears throat> this guy named Lee Robert, uh, Robertson, and reached out to him, um, asked him about his experience. He was having a great time. And, you know, th- through interactions with him and others, was able to kind of square in on MBA and then went to Darden, um, like a few years after working at Madison House in D.C., Okay, so you get done with your business school stint at Darden, and now you get into the real world. Tell us a little about that journey. Yeah, absolutely. So at Darden, um, you know, again, I had the pleasure of like having a UVA 2.0 experience, like extremely fun, great social uh, time for two years, great networking, and decided to kind of spin out. What I realized what I liked about nonprofit was the culture, um, being mission-oriented, autonomous, a fun, vibrant culture. So I thought, where in the real, uh, where in the business sector rather, do we have this culture? And so for me, it squarely was tech, and it was like certain tech companies. Like I think if I went to particular tech companies, I'd be eating alone in the bathroom stalls and like crying. But there were some tech companies that were very like the happy tech companies, and so I was like, let me target those. And so uh, Microsoft was actually a very in, like intuitive fit. Uh, my brain definitely works in a marketing way, and so I. Uh, applied over and found myself moving from Charlottesville to Seattle. And it's not too different, to be honest. And so I uh, went to Seattle. I'm still here now. I uh, was at Microsoft for about four years. Loved my experience. So much growth there and you know, so many great things. Can talk talk a lot about that. And then to reach a point where I was like, I want to try something smaller. Um, I want to see what that's like. I'm still early in my t- tech career. So I've been actually at Slack for about a month. Um, Slack is that channel-based communication collaboration platform. Um, and, and doing that remotely, starting remotely, doing the work remotely has been really interesting, but been you know loving it so far. 
So what exactly were you doing at Microsoft? What was the day-to-day? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I was a product marketer. And so um, it really meant a lot of things. But for me, what it was, was uh, we had uh, the newest product when I started, which was called Teams. And so it was like, you know, this product's being built. How do we get people aware of all the new features coming in? What this product does? Because hard to explain a chat-based workspace because a new category of, of software. And so how do we explain this to the market? And so I was kind of in the middle between your PMs, your product managers, and then your sales and customer folks. So translating everything that's coming from engineering, doing the messaging, the storytelling, building the content, and then training and providing that to the sales and customer folks so they can go execute and getting that feedback back to relay to the engineers. So kind of that bridge between the both. And after your four years, were you ready to move on to something or were you just enjoying what you were doing and something found you? What was the transition to Slack? Yeah, it was really the pandemic. Like there's something to being alone in a 530 square foot apartment for 14 months that will do something to you. And so I was just sitting there thinking, all right, like Microsoft's going well, but you know, I want, I, I, I changed apartments for the rental market kind of plummeted in Seattle. So that was a good change of pace. But I was like, I, what else, you know, needs some change in my life. And so um, I actually went back home to Virginia for six weeks over the holidays and was with family. And it was when I was with them that I kind of realized, I think I'm ready to perhaps look into trying something else. And when I actually finally started to look, I realized, oh, wait, there's a lot out there. And so um, entertained some conversations and just, you know, went along this path. Well, my daughter, who's 14, I was driving her to school this morning and she was asking me, what am I up to today? And when I told her about you and when I told her you were working at Slack, her answer to me was, wow, that's cool. And so uh, while I've been trying to get her to think that I'm cool for 14 years, she hasn't even met you yet. And she already thinks that you're cool just because of what you do for a living. I love it. I'll, I'll take that. Absolutely take that. I'll, I'll, I'll slap Slack stickers everywhere now if it's going to get me some, uh, some, some points. So tell me, what's the, what's the road within Slack? Do you see yourself? I know you're just there a month, so it's a little premature maybe to ask the question, but where do you see yourself going? They're growing so much because you know they got a, they're going through an acquisition right now by Salesforce, and so they're they are hiring out the wazoo, and they're just scaling so fast. So for me, it's like I really want to get my feet wet and, you know, ramp up and, you know, contribute and what have you, but then see if there's opportunities to grow in a way where I could perhaps manage people or, you know, try different, uh, you know, build my skills out, things like that, and just see what the acquisition does. It's clearing the DOJ, hopefully by this summer, it got delayed a little bit. And so I think once things get cleared by the administration, we'll get a better sense of what that growth could look like. So right now I'm just treating this like next six months to a year as, just do your work. And then after that, see like, all right, where does the path forward look like? So very much just kind of taking it in right now. And when you talk about Seattle being a lot like Charlottesville, tell me about what life's like there. It sounds like you just moved apartments. Give us the, you know, what's the lay of the land there? It's well, right now it's really quiet because, you know, people have done, you know, a good job of taking social distancing and, and mass things like that very seriously. The issue is Seattle is already a very introverted city. I don't know if you've heard of the Seattle freeze. It's this yeah colloquial uh, term <clears throat> where people in Seattle are a little icy, meaning they're warm and friendly, 
But when they're like, oh, yeah, hey, Tom, like, yeah, that's great speaking with you. Like, give me your number. Like, let's grab coffee sometimes. You'd be like, oh, yeah, that sounds great. And you just walk away. <laughs> right? And so uh, maybe not the most committed to like making plans or socializing. And so that kind of got compounded a little bit, I would say, with the pandemic. Um, outside of that, like, honestly, my Seattle experience has been every other person is a tech person, like an Amazon or Microsoft birth person. They're just taking it over. So there's a little bit of like all right, the OG Seattle, um, which is very much this kind of Portlandia vibe. And then this new Seattle, which is very much this tech vibe. But, you know, both groups are, are really great. Um, what I love about it is you're next to the water. Um, you're next to all this amazing like greenery, hiking, the uh, evergreen trees. That's what reminds me of Charlottesville a lot. It's just like the hiking spots in the nature. Um, you have a lot of neighborhoods that are kind of like the Belmont neighborhood of Charlottesville. I don't know if you've been there, like where Moss and, um, you know, uh, and uh, the local and other places are like. So like very much this, um, these kind of like hipstery neighborhoods, like you're walking through, you hear the Lumineers playing, someone's on their deck playing the banjo, wearing a straw hat. So like getting me those vibes as well. And then at the same time, you have city life too. And so it's a good mix. It's a mid-sized city. It's pretty slower in pace compared to like DC or, or Chicago, but it's, you know, it's still a city. And so it's a good balance for me, I think. And as we move into this world where you could almost do your job from anywhere, well, at least it feels like that coming right out of the pandemic. Do you think Seattle's a place, uh, given that, let's imagine you work for Slack for the rest of your life, um, but you could live anywhere you want. Do you think you'll stay in Seattle or do you think something would take you out of there? So I watched Nomadland recently with Francis McDormand and I was like, you know what? I'm never the person just to, to get up and, you know, travel the world in an RV and go off the grid. But man, do I really feel like doing it? And so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking now that I have this clearance to be fully remote, I want to do a little bit of nomadness. And for me, it'd be like glamping. So it wouldn't be the, it wouldn't be like completely going off the grid like she did in that movie. But like, let me see what a week in New York is, what a couple of weeks in LA will be like, maybe like a week um, somewhere in Utah, so I could hit up Zion and surrounding places and just um, travel the travel the country a little bit. Uh, you know, I have access to these WeWork memberships, which are interesting, which would you know allow me to go in and get some monitors and, and we get work done. And so uh, I'm thinking about what a summer tour could look like and maybe hit up some imps along the way. You never know. You know, it's interesting, as uh, the listeners know, I coach or I had coached the last 10 years soccer at the local high school. And because of that, now the guys that I coached the first couple of years, they're starting, they're in their real world. Now they're working. And a lot of them who weren't tied down, they didn't necessarily had a family where they needed to stay in a school district. What they were doing is exactly what you said. They were getting together with old buddies. They were renting a house for a month and they were just working out of that house. So they were going skiing. I had another guy that went with his buddies to Hawaii some really fun things. And it's really interesting to hear how the new world we live in is opening up things where you could, like you said, you could do a tour, you know, tr trying to get everyone together and uh, meet imps along the way. It sounds like a lot of fun. That's awesome. Now you're in your real world and you're really getting going now and you're starting to reflect back at your time at UVA. So mm -hmm. tell me a little about how that UVA experience impacted you, not really so much academically, but the other stuff. Yeah, I was listening to a, a podcast you had, I forget the guest, but they're like, they're all the learning happened at the Virginian, right? Not in a particular class. And that was exactly the same for me, but it wasn't the Virginian. I think 
my learning happened on the lawn. It was between two lawn rooms. Like two of my closest friends were lawn residents. I was an RMF fourth year, but I was spending all my time in those two rooms and in that like section of, uh, I believe it's the East Lawn or yeah, the East Lawn. And so for me, like the conversations, you know, just, you know, the late night intellectual conversations, the late night stupid conversations, just, you know, socializing, having good time, throwing parties, like that was a lot of where my learning happened. I think the second bucket, as I mentioned with you guys was, man, we took everything so seriously, at least in student groups, except for imps. Like, I'm so happy I was an imp because I think it let, it brought out a side of my personality, which was able to let go and relax a little bit. I think I'm certainly the type of person who like, you know, Madison House is super organized, super serious about that. You guys super serious. I always joke with my friends that I, I really think I could have gone either way. Like, I, I, I seriously think I could have been a Z and like really done it because it didn't be like very like, student leadery and environmentally friendly and, you know, all that kind of stuff, or I could have been an imp. Like I really could have gone either way, which is kind of scary to think about, <laughs> but. Well, that was a lucky turn of events for you. Yeah. A lucky turn of events. I'm <laughs> glad it didn't happen. So then, um, but in any case, yeah, it's like through all the student activities, like a lot of learning, like having debates on, like, I remember with you guys, this is probably still controversial if any guides are listening. We had like a town hall that lasted three hours as to whether we would allow jeans to be a part of tour attire. <laughs> and it was like, you might as well be watching like current day British parliament because it was that intense and serious. And I think, you know, looking back at it, it was good training to understand how to have those conversations and, and things like that. Um, and then all the, all the different uh, experiences of being an RA and having those conversations and seeing uh, those students grow you know, those are the moments where I really, I think, developed as a person, understood my values, understood how I interacted, work with others, understood how others perceived me. I think that's a huge piece. I think at UVA, you are your reputation and your brand, and you kind of like identified that while you're there. I can't imagine what it's like now with social media. Thank God, like social media wasn't a thing when I was in school, because like you're having to manage that on like a outbound platform. But UVA, yeah, it's very much about like, yeah, like what, what do people think of Tom? And then you're aware of it and then you kind of ride with it. And so that was a huge piece of it too. Well, it's funny because you're talking about the wearing the jeans on the tours. I remember uh, it was probably 2000, 2000 when the tech rack hit uh, that everyone was talking at the investment banks on should they go business casual? And it was a big thing because it had always, you know, been suits, right? Everyone wears suits to work. And now all of a sudden, because technology companies were stealing bankers, they felt like they needed to compete and they went to uh, dress down. And then 2008 hit, and then they went back because they figured, okay, now we have all the leverage in the world. We're going to go back to suits. And now it's kind of like in between because now we're back at home and now you go out of your house and it's like, you don't even know, is it okay to stop wearing sweats, right? <laughs> so, so cool. So now uh, is family still in Northern Virginia? Where, where's the family nowadays? So I got one of my brothers out here. <clears throat> so he's at Microsoft and I get to see him now, which is great. And then the rest of the family are yeah, back in Northern Virginia. And my nephews, <clears throat> the youngest one is at UVA in Charlottesville and everyone else is in that kind of Northern Virginia uh, corridor. And um, any plans to make your way back to Charlottesville for any visits? Anything going on? I really want to. I, I, I used to go back every year, even when I was in Seattle. I found myself back doing, you know, got into recruiting for Microsoft and 
or in other ways just to go back there, but nothing on the books yet, but I definitely want to go. I want to see restaurants that have changed. I've had friends who've had kids who are probably like about to get into UVA at this point. Cause it feels like it's been so long <laughs> and uh, I certainly want to go back. Yeah. That's a fun time. I can tell you from personal experience, my son is starting UVA in the fall mm-hmm. and it is like permission slip for me to hang out there a lot more. So really looking forward to that, uh, the ability to get back and to hang. Uh, it was interesting. I got an awesome text from Cole Kelly, who we interviewed a couple of episodes ago. Cole has a camp in Pennsylvania and he texted me, maybe it would be cool if we had an imp reunion at my camp. And I thought to myself, I'm like, okay, that's a recipe for a a lot of drinking and hangover, but fun. So, you know, Cole, if you're listening, I haven't gotten back to you yet, but that is an awesome idea. And we'll see how to to get that going. And any uh, imps that you're keeping in regular touch with? Yeah, absolutely. Like I, uh, I, we do these uh, weekly calls with uh, a group of friends from guides and uh, one of them is an imp. So shout out to Kadeem Cooper. He was actually the king that year and I was the queen. And so we worked together really closely our fourth year leading the imps. So I get to, I talk to him all the time. And then, you know, when I'm in, in Charlottesville or when I get to DC or Virginia, I try to see the folks that were in my year or reach out and what have you. And if you uh, ran across a current imp today, what sort of uh, words of wisdom would you give that imp? I would say, you know, looking back at my experience, I am happy that I leaned into everything that I did. So I would say, like, go full on with the adventure throwing, go full on with the pranks, go full on with, you know, the retreats and the, the, you know, bonding with your fellow, uh, your fellow members and just have fun with it. So I would say just... Yeah, just to go full on in the experience, being in the moment and, and don't hesitate or shy away from um, for participating in anything. Yeah, I think uh, that's been a common theme that I'm hearing from conversations on the podcast of, you know, don't take yourself too seriously, mm-hmm. enjoy it, soak it in, realize that you're having so much fun because it goes quickly, mm-hmm. those sort of things. So, uh, and you know, my favorite question, I've got to ask you, your favorite mm-hmm. word with the letters IMP in it? Oh man, let's see. I've been saying the word impassioned a lot. I don't even know if that's a, <laughs> if that's a proper word, but I've been, uh, but yeah, I think impassioned is a good one. Um, that I'll go with, uh, I've been using impartial a lot at work, trying to be decisive. Let's go with impassioned. Yeah. Well, and if it's not, then I just made it up again. It doesn't matter. Imps live by our own rules. There we go. It also means our own language, which means that if it's not a word, now maybe it should be a word and everyone should just follow us because we're the trendsetters, right? I mean, if you had a Zoomer who said it, I mean, then you'd, you know, you'd take them to task, you'd go look it up in the dictionary, you'd say, you don't know what you're talking about. But in our group, we could just say it's a word. It's a word. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. So, um, now, anything going on outside of work that you're into with hobbies? Are you? It sounded like you were hiking a little bit. Anything else like that going on that's keeping your interest outside? Yeah, of work? I would. I, I used to do this thing called the Moth. It's the. It's like a stand-up storytelling uh, group. You like, it's not comedy, but you go up and you tell a story. So I do the Moth, and they're coming back in person soon. I got an email in Seattle, and so I'm looking forward to doing that. I used to do a few shows pre-pandemic, and then. I am, um, I will be uh, also be doing some open nights around town. So if anyone's in Seattle, definitely reach out. I'd love to 
to get together and um, drag you to one of these shows. <laughs> Gosh, I mean, we're towards the end of this interview and you bring that out at the end. That's awesome. Tell us more. Yeah. How did you get into that? That's great. You know, I was in Charlottesville. There was a company, shout out to Big Blue Door in Charlottesville. They would do these storytelling and improv things. I just went to a show with a friend and I saw someone perform the story. And for the first time, like I got this feeling, I looked at this guy and I was like, I want to do that. And so the next week I threw my name in the open mic and I kind of wrote this eight page story. Uh, it was about me graduating with no job and it went really well. And I just kind of started doing it monthly with that group. I uh, stopped when I got into Darden because just got busy. And then when I got to Seattle, I found uh, the couple groups that do it here. The Moth is the national circuit. And so they had a chapter in Seattle, which was great to doing it through them. And then there's a few smaller groups as well that do it uh, in Seattle. And so uh, participating with them as well. Is this a normal event that goes on at a particular place or is it just catch as catch can? Yeah, in most cities, there's like maybe like two shows a month. They'll spread around neighborhoods. So there's uh, there's one at this uh, like just like um, uh, this, this church down the street that they perform it at. The other is at like an art studio. Um, every month there's a theme. So the theme could be like revenge or jealousy or memories. And then you have you basically tell an eight minute story it must be true. Um, the intent could be comedic or it could be serious or it could be a mix. And then there's judges who will pick out of the 10 people their favorite story. And then if you're picked, you compete against all the winners of that year in this kind of like uber tournament um, uh, after the 12, 12 months are over. And so definitely check out the moth if you're in a big city. And if you're not in a big city like Charlottesville, they have their own companies, like I had mentioned. So um, this is definitely, definitely a thing. So, so I know you're doing it for a hobby. Is mm -hmm. there anything for any of these people who are good at it that becomes more professional or career related, or is it just a hobby for everyone who's doing it? I think most for most people, it's a hobby. I do think there are people who are like aspiring writers or, or comics or actors who do it as a venue to practice. Um, some big, big time major comics have done the moth as well. You could watch their stories like Hassan Minhaj. He used to be on The Daily Show, did a moth story you can find it on YouTube. Uh, Lena Dunham did one on her show, Girls. Um, so a few comics have gone through the moth as well for their own experiences, but it, it tends to be more, uh, more hobby focused. It's like everyday people go up there and then there's people who are actually trying to use it as a platform to train. That's cool. Ah, that was a new one. I didn't even know about that. I'm going to look that up. I don't know if I would be a storyteller on that, but I would actually. You should do it. It's huge in New York. I think Brooklyn and Manhattan both have their own set of shows. So you should definitely check it out. If you go, do you have to tell a story or can you just be kind of like in the audience? Yeah, you could be in the audience. And so the way it works, you just drop your name in a hat. And so um, they don't pre-select. Um, some places do, both doesn't. So you drop your name in the hat and they'll just pick uh, 10 people throughout the course of the night. Places like New York is harder to get picked because there's a lot more people at the shows. Smaller cities like Seattle, there's not, you know, it's maybe like 50 people at a show and only 25 have an intent to talk. And so it's a little bit easier, but you should definitely go check it out. Well, man, I'm looking at my watch and we're right at the end of our time. Yeah. What, an, what a blast. And this one was a little bit uh, nerve wracking for me because we never met. So you never yeah. know the other people that have been on so far, I know. So thank you for making this easy on me. Uh, it, you were a great guest. It was awesome listening to your stories. And I'm looking forward to meeting you either when I'm in Seattle uh, or you're in New York or we're meeting down in Charlottesville or we're meeting at Cole Kelly's camp for the Imp reunion that he's going to cook up for us. Let's do it. Camp Kelly, I'm here for it. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Hey, Imp Nation, it was great being with you today. If you need me for anything, you know my email address. Also, I know we have about 200 plus people on the mailing list. If I'm missing anyone, it's not on purpose. Just send me their name and their email address. We'll get it on. Uh, also, I'm going to be sending out an email to everyone to verify your graduation year. That's how we're organizing the list and the guests. So any help you could help me with. That's great. Yusuf, you are the man. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. All right. Take care, Amp Nation. Hi there, Tom here. Before I let you go, I want to tell you about my other podcast, Total Sense. As you may know, after my time as an imp, I went on to become a financial advisor. Okay, stop laughing. Don't act so surprised. In each episode, I share advice to parents about how to talk to kids about money. As a parent, I know how difficult that money conversation can be, so I hope you'll listen and find it helpful. It's Total Sense. C-E-N-T-S, as in money, available anywhere you get your podcasts.